see, being shaped by the work of the gospel. And the truth is, this morning really is no different than that, because what we're talking about is our response to the gospel. How are we responding to the gospel? Are we responding to the gospel in gratefulness towards Christ? Are we responding to the gospel in obedience because of what Christ has done? But how are we actually responding in the gospel? And so, the last time that we looked at Acts, we finished up chapter 3, and we talked about really kind of the reason for proclaiming the message of Christ, proclaiming the promised one. And this morning, what we're looking at is then how to go about proclaiming God's word or God's truth in boldness. And that's really where that passage brings us today. So let's go ahead and stand together. We're going to read from Acts chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1, and then we're going to go through verse 22. And this is what it says. It says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they'd set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it more to any. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them, because the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man of whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you that you are the reason that we come together. 
Thank you that it's in your son Jesus, as your word shares here, that we have salvation. That you have provided a means and a way for salvation. Lord God, this morning as we hear your word, as we hear your truth, may we respond to it with open hearts. Not like those religious leaders of the day, but with humble hearts, honest and truthful hearts, God, seeking you. Lord, may you open our eyes to your truth. May our ears hear your words. May we see, God, your truth with your eyes. Lord, if there's things on our heart this morning that are burdening us, that are of a concern to us, I pray, Father, that you would just free us to put those at your feet. May each of us, God, lay those things at your feet. And Father, for this time, may our focus be on you, on your word, and on your glory. Father, move me aside, and may it be you who brings forth your truth. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Proclaiming Christ's truth boldly in the confidence of the Holy Spirit is essential to revealing the sole source of our salvation and true condition of a person's heart. Proclaiming Christ's truth boldly in the confidence of the Holy Spirit is essential to revealing the sole source of our salvation and true condition of a person's heart. It's in boldness that we share salvation. It's in boldness that the heart is revealed. When we look at this passage in Acts, it's interesting because at the heart of this passage is Christ. The central message of this passage is Christ. And as we look at the Word of God, we know that the central message of the Word of God is Christ. And so in verse 1 it says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, here's the picture. They've just gotten done seeing this lame man who was healed in chapter 3. And if you recall, he was begging at the temple door. And so as they were waiting, as people were coming in, he was asking for different forms of money, which would have been silver, gold, different things. And he was brought there daily. And so he gets there and he makes contact with eye contact with Peter and John. And Peter and John look at him, right? And it's one of those things we talked about that often when somebody is in need, so often one of the things that we found even at the nomadic shelter has been that people say it's just nice to be cared for and acknowledged, that all day people ignore them. And so Peter and John look directly at this lame man. The lame man's thinking that they're going to provide him with something, with alms, with uh, basically charity. And Peter and John's response is basically, silver and gold have I none, but all that I have I will give to thee. I will give to you. In the name of Jesus, arise and walk. 
the greatest thing. This man was expecting charity. He was expecting 20 bucks. That's really the equivalent. And what he got was full healing. That's pretty awesome, right? And so they heal this man, and this man rises up, and he leaps, and he goes into the temple, and he's jumping, and he's shouting, and he's going into the temple. And then from there, they begin to ask. They begin to to look, and they begin to wonder, why is this man leaping and shouting? And Peter and John go on, and they explain to them, listen, this Christ that you crucified, this Christ is the one that rose you up. But you need to know that God was working out his sovereign will. And in his sovereign will, he's provided a way for forgiveness of sin, and he's provided a way for redemption. And he's come to you first because his desire is to bring Jesus so that you might be blessed, so that you might not walk in wickedness and away from the Lord. So here they are, they're in this temple, they're proclaiming this, and if you can imagine now, we come right into verse 1, and the religious leaders come walking up, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees. Now the Sadducees were a sect of Jews that were the ruling Jews. They were in essence those that were in charge of the religious law. And the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, But the Sadducees also had an official position, in essence, with the Roman government. Their job was to make sure that there was no uprisings, that people were comfortable, and in turn, that they would maintain their power within the church or within the temple. And so you can imagine here, these Sadducees are coming up, and you've got Peter and John declaring and proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, first of all, that's blowing them away, right? We don't believe in the resurrection, so this guy, these guys are telling something that's not true. But more importantly, they're teaching something that's completely counter to what we're telling people. And if they do that, that means our credibility goes away, and there will be an uprising, and we'll lose our position with the Romans. Now, little did the Sadducees know that there would come a day that they would experience tremendous persecution at the hands of the Romans. But they were basically trying to prolong that position. It was a a position of self-preservation. And so they come along and they're annoyed. They're annoyed by these guys who are actually proclaiming that Jesus did rise from the dead. They're going directly in opposition to those and those who are teaching within the temple. And in that moment, it says, And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So they've been doing this all day. So how do they respond to the coming over and in the name of Christ healing this man? They arrest him. They get arrested. Why? Well, they get arrested primarily because it presses against everything that the religious leaders wanted to preserve. Their position, their place in society, their comfort, It pressed against who they were and who they wanted to remain as. It goes on in verse 4, it says, But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So here's what's happening. In the temple, what they're responding to really is that there are those that are responding to the message of Jesus Christ, to the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead. And so they respond 
And so those Sadducees have seen these people respond. And so many are responding that they're added to the numbers. We know shortly before that there were 3,000. Now there's 5,000 who have been added to the number of those who are following Christ. So notice what happens. It says in verse 5, On the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they'd set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Here's what they did. They didn't just go and find another priest. They went and got the high priest. They went and got Caiaphas and Annas and said, listen, bring them. Now think about this for a second. We would kind of go, okay, these are just two guys, right? These are just two guys. They're proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. What could possibly be so threatening? They went and got the high priest. They went and got their top dogs, right? Because they understood that this message, this message of Jesus was transforming and radical. It was putting the confidence in the resurrection of Jesus rather than a confidence in the law of man. And so these Sadducees go and they find and bring back the high priest. They bring back Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. Here's what they did. They brought in their A-team. The best of what they had, they brought in to examine these two. And so it says here that they then asked that question, where does your power come from? By what power or by what name did you do this? Now notice, Peter and John are standing in this tribunal, right? They're actually on trial. They're, they're being placed on trial for healing a lame man. Now, Peter and John have spent the evening in jail. For many of us, we spend the evening in jail. We kind of look at who we're with and go, hey, whatever you, you know, just let me out of here. I'll be nice to you, you be nice to me, and get me out, right? I mean, for some of us, it might even be as simple as, listen, I'll just say nothing until I get out of here. What do we teach our kids sometimes, right? Just keep your mouth shut, right? Just, just keep it shut for a moment. You don't need to say anything else right now. You're already in trouble enough. Say nothing else until we're away from here. I remember years ago, I was on a sales call. And I had a very a brand new sales rep that was with me. And she had come from a sales industry that was really, it was more of a, a sales where, where people reached out to her and she, she would... Uh, uh, she really didn't have to sell the product and visit clients. That's probably the best way to put it. She'd been hired, and she asked, she said, would you like to go to this client with me? And I said, sure. It was a client that I loved and I enjoyed, and I valued the relationship I had with this, this, this client, so I wanted to make sure that the relationship was protected. And so we got into the elevator, and we went up, and we visited with this client, and the client was very rigid. We knew that. It was one of the things I loved about her was she was very predictable, 
It also made it elevator going firm. People didn't get one over on it real quick. And so this, so we get back in the elevator going down with a, a car full of people from her office. She looks at me and she goes, man, that gal's kind of witchy, isn't she? Right? And I looked and I went, I, I looked at her and I turned and I was like, shh, like quiet. And she's like, what? What? And we got outside and they said, listen, the appropriateness of speaking there, like that's a business that we want, Right? Everybody in the office just heard what you said about this person, right? Well, in that moment, I was terrified that we were going to lose that client. Now, you can imagine that most of us, if we're going to actually turn and we're going on trial, we don't want to say a whole lot, right? But Peter and John, that's not how they respond. They don't respond with, hey, let's be quiet. It says here in verse 7, that after they've been asked, then it continues in verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders. Now listen what it says. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, listen, you guys are doing what right now? You've put me on trial because we've done a good deed? Is that what you're doing? Well, let me give you the answer, right? That's kind of where he's going with this. And what he begins to do is rather than come back and give them what they want to hear, or rather than being silenced so that he might go to a situation which is a lot more comfortable and a lot easier, he begins to proclaim Christ's truth. And so what we see here really is how to proclaim Christ's truth with boldness. Peter and John give us a picture of what it means to proclaim Christ's truth with boldness. Sometimes I think in our culture today, specifically the Christian culture, when it comes to proclaiming God's truth, we're looking for easy ways to do it. We want a nice, comfortable message. The problem is, is that we're told that the gospel is offensive. And so, because it's offensive, it's not going to be comfortable. It's designed to stir our hearts, to show us the inward depravity of who we really are and the fact that apart from Christ, we have nothing. And that we have nothing eternally. And so it says here, in his response, that he starts, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. So how do we proclaim Christ's truth with boldness? Well, the very first thing is, We need to rely on the Holy Spirit's power, not our own. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit's power, not our own. Too often, we try to share faith with a method or with a seemingly appropriate answer rather than seeking the Lord as to how he would best us answer that person. More importantly, we do it without asking the Lord to be the one that's actually speaking through us. See, the Holy Spirit, which we know from Ephesians 1, 13, 14, and 15, which is granted to us upon the point at which we repent and believe on Jesus, God has given as a helper to fulfill his will. What is part of his will but the fulfillment of the Great Commission? That means that if we're to go in all nations, making disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching to obey my commands... The only way to do that is in the power of the Spirit. We truly cannot proclaim Christ well apart from the power of the Spirit. 
We can't. Even more importantly, we're not going to proclaim the power of Christ and the grace of Christ amongst turmoil and trial apart from the Holy Spirit. We're going to back down. We're going to move away from the situation. And so, if we're going to proclaim Christ's truth with boldness, it starts with a reliance upon the Holy Spirit. When we come together for the nomadic shelter, one of the things that we talked about in our meeting last week was we need to prepare our hearts in readiness for those people coming. It really needs to not be just something that we show up to and say, I hope God does a work tonight. We need to be showing up with the expectation that God is going to be placing people in front of us who need the hope of Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that tonight maybe I'll get the chance to share, but I need to be ready for the fact that if God does, and I need to be praying that it's His Spirit that is at work within me and that my confidence is in the work of the Spirit, not in myself. I think one of the things that we would attest to as elders is that sometimes people think that we have this training that makes us fearless. Listen, I wish I knew a whole lot more than I did. And most situations I walk into feeling ill-equipped for, except by the power of the Spirit of God and the power of His Word. It's in our weakness that we are strong, and it requires us to come before Christ and trust in the power of the Spirit to proclaim Christ's truth in boldness. Too often, as believers, we're not sure how to respond to a person's question about salvation or about what it means to walk with Christ. And rather than turning to Christ, we turn to ourselves. We rely on our past experience. We become overwhelmed trying to find the perfect answer. And the truth is, the Spirit has the right answer, the perfect one for that person. See, it's interesting, in Luke 21, 12 through 15, it says this, it speaks to the fact that the disciples are going to be brought before and persecuted, and that they're going to have to bear witness. And it says, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Where was the bearing witness going to take place? It was going to take place under duress, in trial. The truth is, is very seldom are we going to have the opportunity to share our faith when things are going great. When people want to receive the good news. It's a wonderful thing when somebody comes to us and says, hey, explain to me the gospel. That's an awesome thing. You know why? Because you know that they're at least willing to hear it. It's an entirely different thing when you sense that Jesus is the answer that they desperately need, but they don't even know what they need. And they certainly don't think it's Jesus. That boldness and proclamation comes through the work of that spirit. And notice what he's saying. He said, listen, when you're in jail, when you're in prison, 
It's your opportunity to bear witness. Aaron's brother, Schneider's brother here, Isaac, was in a bad motorcycle accident about a week and a half ago. And when I say bad, I mean bad. Like body broken in pieces. Went up and visited with Isaac, Aaron's brother, and Ashley, my daughter, is a good friend with Isaac. Here's a 19-year-old guy lying in a hospital bed. He's been in ICU for 10 days, going 11 days. You know what? You know what he wants to talk about? Jesus. All he wants to do is share Jesus. Those nurses, rooms, nurses, they're taking note. Because there's people in the rooms next to them that they don't want to talk about Jesus. They don't have hope and confidence in them. And for a 19-year-old who's supposed to be invincible, this guy coming in and saying, God's going to walk me through this. But all I know is I'm going to honor God with what I've got right now. That's a radical position. It's a radical position in the face of a position that looks to serve itself, to protect itself, to seek after comfort. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit's power. In Luke 21, it continues, it says, Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Here's what he's saying. Most of the time, you're going to go into a situation where you're sharing your faith, and guess what? You're not going to have the right answer. And when you do plan for the answer, it's probably going to be the wrong one. What I found is so often in sharing my faith with other people, the thing that mattered most to me was not the thing that mattered most to them. Why? Because God's reminding me, hey, listen, you need to be prepared, but don't try to formulate your answer beforehand. Because if you try to formulate your answer beforehand, you're missing the point. It's going to be in my power that you answer this question. He goes on and he says this. He says in verse 17, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Wow. Verse 19 adds, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. Wow. Truth is, is our reliance has to be in the spirit. I want to encourage you to write down Isaiah 50, verse 7. It says this, But the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. I've set my face like a flint. Why? Because of God's help. I can be steadfast and immovable in the face of proclaiming God's truth. Some of us have unbelieving family, family and friends that don't know Jesus. In fact, there might be some of you today that are sitting here going, who is this Jesus? I want to encourage you. We're going to talk about who that Jesus is. But the truth is this. Our confidence in sharing the truth of Christ does not come from within. It's not a self-driven thing. It has to come from the Holy Spirit. And when we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and show us and show us how to respond and our confidence is in him, then we can stop worrying about having the right specific words and let him do the sharing The second way that we actually do this or the second piece of 
proclaiming Christ's truth and boldness is this, is simply to proclaim Christ. That seems pretty straightforward, proclaim Christ, if we're going to proclaim Christ. But the truth is, is that if we're going to actually proclaim Christ with boldness, we've got to stay on task. Peter doesn't move over and go, hey, you yahoos who have come over here, really, you put me in jail because I healed this guy? Because Jesus healed this guy? Really, this good deed that I did, you guys really put me in jail, right? Now, I know myself, myself would be given to the argument, guaranteed. I would enjoy that argument, actually. I would enjoy the process of proving my innocence to them and the foolishness of their decision. That's just me. I know that. I know in my own flesh, that's where I would go. The sarcasm would rise up. The, the idea of, of looking at them and letting them know that they were idiots, I would really, truly take that on as a joy in my flesh. Now, Peter and John, they've spent the night in prison. You can imagine. They're probably there, too. But Peter and John recognize that this isn't an opportunity for themselves. This is an opportunity for Christ. And rather than seeking after their own purposes, they seek after Christ. And so it says in verse 10, 9 through 10, it says, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed, let it be known to all of you by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead, this man is standing before you well. So the first part of proclaiming Christ is that Christ, in his loving mercy, came to heal our sinful condition. He came to heal our sinful condition. That's why Christ came, in his loving mercy. Listen to what he's saying here. He's saying, listen, this Jesus who you crucified, you crucified him. He's not afraid to actually address sin. He's not calling, he's not saying here, listen, by the way, uh, Jesus is just nice towards you and you're already a pretty good guy, so he came for you too. If you remember in Mark, it says that he came, those who were not sick didn't need healing, but those who were sick needed healing. That Jesus came not for the healthy, but for the sick. And what he was getting at was the Pharisees didn't even understand that they were sick. In order to understand our need for Jesus, it starts with understanding our sickness. And what he does right there is he calls out their sickness You crucified Jesus. He's reminding them that he, these guys, each of them, all of us by our sin, put Jesus on the cross. And then he points out, but God raised him from the dead. And he goes on and it says, and he healed this lame man. Now remember, in Jewish culture, being a lame man would have meant that you were most likely guilty of some sin. Ailments under the Jewish culture were seen as God's judgment upon the sinful. And what Peter and John are doing is they are driving the point back home that it's not just this man who is sinful, but they too are sinful. And yet, Jesus came so that they might be healed. That they might be healed of this sinful condition. Romans 5.8 is a wonderful example of that verse. And it simply says this. It 
It says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That was his love for us. When we proclaim Christ, we need to proclaim who he is and why he's coming. He's coming out of his merciful love to heal us of our sin. The second thing that we proclaim is seen in verse 11, where it says, This Jesus is the stone rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Rejecting Christ is the rejection of God's plan for redemption. Rejecting Christ is the rejection of God's plan for redemption. These Sadducees, these religious leaders, the high priests, understood exactly what Peter and John were quoting. They were quoting Psalms 118.22. And let me read it to you. It says this, Psalms 118, verse 21 and 22. It's a passage that speaks about the Messiah. And it says this, I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. They understood exactly what was being said. Redemptive. Jesus was the Messiah. And to reject the Messiah is to reject God's redemptive plan. If I reject Jesus, I'm rejecting God's redemptive plan for my salvation. I can look at it and say, but that doesn't seem fair. I'm a good person. Why do I have to believe in this Jesus? To the question which we then ask, well, what if we have 125 good things and 126 bad things? None of that makes us clean, by the way. But what's fair? What's fair is that God put a standard in place, a holy and righteous standard of his son, Jesus Christ. And that holy and righteous standard God gave to us and said, all who believe on him, those who repent of sin and confess Jesus is Lord, are saved. Why? Because it is Jesus who has washed us clean. It's not our works. And out of a clean heart in Jesus, then flows the loving work of God. Our lives begin to reflect that. The third part of proclaiming Christ is that in Christ alone is salvation. In Christ alone is salvation. So rejection or rejecting Christ is the rejection of God's plan for redemption. But now we have to take that one step further and say in Christ alone is salvation. Notice what would have happened to these guys. The very one that they have crucified, the very one that they are trying to avoid with their, their works and with their law Peter and John are now saying, listen, it is only, it is only through Christ that we experience salvation. Verse 12 says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Here's what he's saying. It's not through the lens of some other teacher or prophet. It, it doesn't come through Buddha or Muhammad 
It doesn't come from being a good person. It doesn't come from self-centering. Our salvation comes from Jesus. Our salvation is outside of ourselves in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what it's in. And it is in that work that then we gain the Holy Spirit and then his work is lived through us and seen through us as we faithfully submit to Christ. John 20, verse 31, and I want to encourage you to write that passage down. John 20, verse 31, says this. It affirms that Jesus is the only way, and this is what it says. It says, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Just as Jesus has come in Jesus, that he is his salvation, and the purpose that he is called to show us the way through him, now he is sending us out to be a light into the world. And he said this in verse 22, and when he would said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Christ within us, through the power of the Spirit, we have to rely on. But proclaiming God's truth in boldness is key. A church that is walking in the power of the Spirit. The third thing, know that Christ qualifies you to proclaim his name. Know that Christ qualifies you to proclaim his name. Look what it says in verse 13 and 14. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Our qualification is not our education. Our qualification is not our personality. Our qualification is not our age by which we share who Jesus is. Our qualification is Christ himself. When I repent and believe on Christ, as I receive the Holy Spirit, God has called me and equipped me to share his truth, plain and simple. That is what qualifies me. And I think too often we wish that we had more understanding and more knowledge when we get into situations that we know that God is pressing upon our heart and he's going, I want you to proclaim my truth. I want you to do this. And we were wishing we had more. I'll tell you what. I don't know about you guys, but for me, that's there. I, I wish that it wasn't so simple sometimes. What do you mean that you repent and believe on Christ? That's it? Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it for renewed life. Yeah, that's exactly it. And you stand there. Really, that's it. That's it? Uh Uh-huh. Well, don't you have to live good or something? Well, as we confess Christ as Lord, we've seen what he's done in our life out of gratitude, we walk with him. It's our desire to become like Christ, to to walk with him and to, to see him glorified through our lives. But that's not what saves me. 
It's a product of my salvation. We need to know that it's Christ who qualifies us, not our education, not our background, not our personality. Too often, I think we can use our personality as an excuse. Now, I'm a talkative person, so I guess I don't have any excuse. Um, But even I can find an excuse, right? I was with a man this week at Starbucks. Walked up to me, an older gentleman, and he said, you doing your devotionals? And I said, no, I'm actually working on my sermon. That's a group of people around. I'd just been praying, Lord, I really kind of need your strength right now. just want something new and refreshing. I just need to see your presence in the midst of this. Man looks at me and goes, simply, can I pray for you? Uh, yeah. Yep. He stands there and he prays for me. I thought it was a customer. It was actually one of the workers. He went back, went back to doing what he was doing. But here he was on the job, walked through, and just asked if he could pray for me. Simple little thing. You know what? It was encouraging for me because last night as I was studying for the message, I was down at Starbucks again, same Starbucks. Police officer walked in. Comes over and I sit next to the stirring sticks. So I'm sitting there. I got my headphones on and I'm working on this message and I don't really want to be bothered. That's why my headphones are on. <laughs> Look at him and I'm like, man, I really ought to ask this guy if I should pray for him. Just got to pray for him. He's stirring. I'm like, dude, I got like two more seconds to wait on this man. <laughs> So I just looked up and I was like, uh, hey, you working in North County tonight? Yep. You know, I'm, my name's Calvin. That's what he said. My name's Calvin. I said, man, I just want to let you know I'm praying for you tonight. And he's like, oh, that's awesome. Great. Leans over and shakes my hand right there. It's the little things, right? But we need to be reminded that God's called us to proclaim his gospel in boldness. We are to live in boldness as followers of Christ. We're to live in boldness, not in weakness. So I want to move through these next two very quickly. There's an important understanding that we need from the bottom portion of this passage from verses 13 through 18. And it's simply this. That the rejection of Christ is the result of hard-heartedness. Notice what it says here. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived, they were astonished, they recognized, seeing the man who was healed. And then they went so far as to say, for the notable sign has been performed, and we cannot deny it. Let us warn them, and then charge them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Here's the thing. The religious leaders saw the same things that John and Peter saw. The exact same things things and they had heard the truth and yet they refused they refused because their heart had become hardened because they chose the things of this life and the comfort of this world over Christ rather than responding to the grace of God their hearts became subtly hardened And even though the truth had been proclaimed, their hearts became harder and harder. 
John 12 actually gives us a picture of what that hardening looks like. And this is what it says. Starting in verse 33, it says, He said to this show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Check this out. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He then goes on and he says, The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. Here's the point. When the Holy Spirit reveals who Christ is, and we turn from him, we turn away from him, we are beginning to harden our hearts and walk in darkness. The point is we were already walking in darkness, and now it becomes more and more solidified. And his point was, listen, don't delay. If you see who Jesus is and you are understanding that he is the Messiah, respond. Not tomorrow, today. More importantly, as followers of Christ, he's saying this. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you, respond. Because you too harden your heart when the Spirit speaks and you don't. You too deaden your ears to the voice of God. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we hardening our hearts to the things of God? When we're uncomfortable to share the gospel with people and the Lord is prompting and pricking our heart, do we recognize that when we don't respond to his call that we're actually hardening his heart? One of the greatest and creative ways that we can do that is make excuses. We can come up with lots of reasons to not proclaim God's word. And we can come up with lots of reasons to not like conviction. If we hear out of our own mouths from time to time those things like, man, that guy makes me feel bad about myself. When the word of God is being preached, we need to ask the question, is it that man or is it Christ? Is Christ convicting? And do we recognize that his voice being heard is one of mercy and grace? That he's being merciful because we can actually still hear his voice. What about those things in our lives where we are feeling like God is calling us to sacrifice? And we're going, oh, no, 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 no. And we know in our heart, this is what the Lord's calling us to, and we think to ourselves, if we just don't think about it long enough, we won't have to do it, because I'll forget about it, right? Do we recognize that we're hardening our hearts to the Holy Spirit? When somebody rejects the gospel, it's not because they don't have enough information. They reject the gospel because the heart has been hardened. That's why when we respond and we share the gospel, our response shouldn't be trying to argue them into the faith, but rather it ought to be prayer. One of sharing the truth and then praying on their behalf. So here's the essential question then. Who are you gonna serve, man or God? Who are you gonna serve, man or God? See, in verse 19 to 22, it says, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. 
The word cannot here in Greek is in the absolute negative. What they're saying is that the fact is, is that what they've seen in Jesus so compels them forward that they can't at all reject what Christ's instructions were because they've seen the work of God. The question for us is who are we going to serve? Notice that they were instructed not to speak and yet what their response was is whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge for we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. Now think about that for a moment. In that subtlety, they made a decision even though they knew that they might be put in prison, they chose to still proclaim Christ. More importantly, they reminded the Pharisees, excuse me, the Sadducees, where they were. By saying, we can only speak of what we've seen and heard, he was pointing back to them, going, you've seen and heard the same things, and yet you lie. The point is this, when we walk in Christ's truth, it might be offensive. And yet, when we walk in Christ's truth, it's radical and it causes people to take notice. And more importantly, what people begin to see is the love of God. And so you may have a family member that responds to the gospel harshly and offended. I want to encourage you, just continue to walk in the spirit of God. Because the initial reaction is one of offense because the conviction of what is being placed before you. But continue to walk it out because what we see is the picture from here on out is that they walk in that gospel, that they are then set free and they are released as verse 20 and 21 and 22 tell us that they are then released even though they've been threatened because the people are praising God because they themselves have seen the work. Here's the point. Keep walking with Christ. Keep proclaiming Christ in boldness. And as you proclaim Christ in boldness through the power of the Spirit, let Christ do his work on the heart of man. And let Christ be the one who transforms them. And don't give up because the natural reaction to the gospel is one of offense and conviction. But in the power of the Spirit, all things are possible. And it's through Christ that heart of stone are now made into heart of flesh. Amen? Amen. Amen.